Today on episode 6 of the Global Connections podcast, we have Mina and Tay. Both of them are international graduate students from Malaysia who are studying in the Educational Administration Student Affairs program. In this episode, they will be talking about how they started the International Student Advisory Board on their campus. Produced by the Commission for Global Dimensions of Student Development, ACPA and Anchor, Global Connections aim to connect folks from all functional areas interested in cross-cultural learning, development of intercultural competencies, internationalization, and student services around the world. Welcome to this episode of Global Connections. I am your host, Xiao Yun Sim, and this is the living room space where we invite our guests to share about their stories and narratives. Hi everyone, it's a pleasure for me to be able to speak to Mina and Tay today, who are both international students from Malaysia, currently first-year students in the Student Affairs Program at University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I'm excited to chat a little more about the student organization that they started that advocates for international students on campus. I do want to turn the microphone to both Mina and Tay to have them share a little about themselves and maybe talk a little about why they decided to go into student affairs. Awesome. So hello, everyone. Thank you for having me here. This is Mina. I use she, her, her pronoun. Um, So a little bit about myself, I am an Indian Malaysian who came to the United States about three and a half years ago for my undergraduate studies. I majored in finance and minored in economics. I decided to work a year um, under the optional uh, practical training, also called as OPT, and came to the realization that finance was just not my cup of tea. Um, so during my undergraduate years, I had been involved in various student affairs um, offices and programming, um, and I loved it. Um, so a former supervisor of mine had suggested that I look into looked into the education administration student affairs program. And um, after having conversations with a couple of uh, student affairs practitioners, I applied to the program, and here I am. Well, hi everyone. So uh, my name is Yishuan Tay. I go by Tay. My pronouns are she, hers. Um, similarly to Xiaoyan and Mina who are on this call, I am from Malaysia. Um, I am a Chinese Malaysian. Um, and I came to the US um, to specifically to Lincoln, Nebraska also about three and a half years ago. Uh, fun fact, Mina and I were actually on the same flight from Chicago um, that landed in Lincoln, Nebraska. And for some reason, we never made that connection until we started grad school together. So um, that was really a fun little connection that Mina and I have. Um, I did my undergraduate in psychology and I had a minor in sociology. And I think the, the experience that really changed um, how I went into student affairs was first even finding out that it was a field. Um, I remember speaking to a career coach that talked to me about, oh yeah, I did my master's in student affairs. And I was like, wait, what is student affairs? Um, so I found out a little bit more about it. Um, I had several on-campus positions and um, in my senior year after working at the international orientation team, I knew that student affairs is where I really wanna be, um, where I really wanna spend my time at. Um, I also did a year of optional practical training at uh, one of the global offices at 
on campus. Um, and that's when I really found my passion in international education, um, specifically thinking about inclusion, equity, and social justice um, spaces. Um, yeah, so that's how I really changed my field um, into student affairs. I don't think it's as huge of a change from finance to um, um, student affairs um, that, me, that Mina did, but um, a lot of the things that I do currently, um, I, I do feel lucky having that psychology background. Um, I, I think it's uh, helped me a lot in terms of adjusting to grad school. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Who knew from being on the same flight would end, end up being in the same program right now, completing a master's program in student affairs and working alongside together uh, with the, a student organization that both of you are running. So I did mention earlier in the introduction that both of them started a student organization on campus at University of Nebraska-Lincoln. So I do want to introduce that advisory board that they started having Mina or Tay share a little more in depth of what the student organization does. So if anyone of you wants to jump in, uh, can you share a little about the International Student Advisory Board, ISAP, that you all created? Yeah, so the International Student Advisory Board is there to serve and to be an advocate for all international students in the UNICE. So we are a group of students who are seeking to elevate the voice of the student group. Um, we do this through uplifting and amplifying the voices of international students, educating the campus community about international student issues, and actively challenging and entering an inclusive um, community for international students. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Nina. But I do want to backtrack a little about understanding the reason behind starting the International Student Advisory Board. So uh, from my personal experience with both of you, I had a little context on wh uh, why did y'all want to start, uh, start this uh, advisory board. But for our audiences who are tuning in today, do you both want to just share a little about the reason behind starting the ISAP? Yeah, um, I think really from a personal um, story. Um, I think all of us here who are listening to the podcast probably knows about the July 6 um, SEVP guidance that was placed on international students at that time that if, uh, if universities were to go fully online, that international students were being chased out of the country, right? And while Mina and myself were, um, fortunate to be in an institution that announced that they were going to open the campus, they were going to, there were going to be some in-person component that we were not going to be affected by this specific ruling. Like the messaging and just the rhetoric behind why that policy came about was just so um, uncalled for. Like Oliver, so like, what is going on? Like, what did we do to deserve this type of treatment, right? That we are getting chased out of the country. And um, we all have like lives that are built here. And I just cannot imagine for my international student, like brothers and sisters who are affected um, at different institutions, like how their experiences and how stressful it was for them. Um, but just really thinking about the localized context here at, the, at Lincoln, Nebraska, um, while I have a really great support, um, network of support that was expressed to me through faculty and staff and within my workspace at that time, I just felt very powerless in terms of um, talking about this issue with folks. I didn't feel like there's a space on campus for me to really elevate my voice to the campus leaders or to a broader audience about 
why we feel so attacked by this specific ruling. Yeah. Yeah, so kind of to add on to that, um, we definitely had friends who left the country who decided to pursue an online program or even just transfer to another institution because they felt like they were not supported. Um, so we actually came about the advisory board after having multiple conversations with so many different people about, you know, starting an advisory board for international students. We were really wanting to have a collective voice for international students, and there was just no follow up. Um, so um, there was a disconnect in the institution. Um, there are like, you know, multiple great international student-based um, recognized student organizations on campus who really focus on the culture and their, you know, respective country, but never a collective voice for international students. So, you know, one day, um, Faye and I got down with class and we were waiting for the bus. Um, and, you know, she asked me if like, hey, were you, are you wanting to start an international student advisory board with me? And it was like kismet. We continued talking and coming up with ideas on what this organization should look like, our goals, um, the purpose of it, what will international students gain out of it? Um, so all the planning and the initiation with, of it uh, was all done in, um, the span of two months. It was done during our winter break. Uh, we had sent in our constitution for the organization. We have met with numerous people. Um, so some of these people continue um, discussions with us. We call them our champions. They just provide enormous support for us. Yeah, I hear that like both of you came in into starting this advisory board with a lot of passion and really wanted to speak up and represent the international community as a whole in advocating for that. But Mina, you did mention a little about um, reaching out to the people that you call champions. So um, this is open to both of you. Either one can take up this answer, but who were your go-tos to learn about starting a student organization or um, who were the professionals on campus that supported this great idea of both of yours? Um, I think for us, right, it, it, it was actually really hilarious, like how we even stumbled upon like the phrase of like International Student Advisory Board in the first place. Um, I was actually working on a, a class assignment, um, writing a paper, and I wrote specifically about the experiences of Asian international students um, near racism and COVID-19. And I happened to speak to this um, professional staff at the institution who works in the English uh, as second language program. So she works with a lot of international students and she herself was an international student um, more than a decade ago. Um, not trying to, you know, out her age here or anything. <laughs> but um, she talked to me about um, a group that existed like that in the past when she was still an undergrad. And she was actually president for that group, um, which is called the International Student Advisory Board. And their work was much more focused on really bridging the culture and the friendships between international students and American friendships. Um, but for some reason, um, the uh, the specific organization was um, kind of just went away um, after a while, it was never continued. 
Um, so that's when I realized, oh, there are groups in the past that really focuses on international students like as a group, as an entire entity. Um, so she was really one of the uh, individuals that Mina and I talked to really about starting this organization. Um, we wanted to take it a step further, um, more than just talking about cultural differences and building friendships, we wanted to really tackle and look into the issues that international students face on campus. Um, more specifically about other folks that we talked to, we talked to a lot of faculty, uh, a lot of professors who may have an international student background or have worked with a lot of international students to know the specific struggles that we have. And that goes to the same to staff as well. Um, we talked to a lot of um, coordinators, we talked to the international um, office on campus, we talked to folks that work in the international space and knows about um working what it's like working with international students and they just have been a huge support um thinking like it amazes Mina and myself just how many people recognizes the need for this group um like one thing that we've noticed after talking to so many people is that oh wow they know we need this group they know that this group should exist and that really reaffirms us that we are on the right track um, with setting up this organization on campus. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Tay. Um, I want to switch gears a little about, I remember Mina did talk about what does I, uh, International Student Advisory Board does. Um, you mentioned a little about uplift, uplifting and amplifying the voices of international students and educating the campus community. So I was just wondering, again, open it up to both of you, either one can share, how can we um, actively challenge and make sure and ensuring that the campus is inclusive to all international students? Yeah, so I guess like a lot of times the responsibility to excel and adapt to the U.S. Uh, climate and the culture often falls on um, the shoulder of international students. Um, a lot of literature studies and re research uh, focuses on supporting international students, but none really try to um, understand what the systems of oppression that create negative experiences in the first place. So um, it's like really important, I think, to get other people, domestic students, and also the institution to really um, understand how they can help international students rather than under, um, making international students adapt to the U.S. culture. Um, and it's also really important for us to recognize that international students are not a homogenous group. Uh, we really do consist of different race, ethnicities, we are from different countries, uh, we have different culture. So rather than just having us categorized as one, we really need to focus on our differences and how to better accommodate us um, as international students. Um, yeah. Um, and I think I can add on a little bit too. Like I know Mina talked about this, and we've seen the we are seeing this a lot with how racialized experience that international students have, right? Um, thinking about um, students from Africa countries that have to adjust to coming to uh, the US with such a heightened um, 
racialized climate that's unfortunately against and discriminatory against the Black, the African Americans in the country. So how are they adjusting to some of that um, and really thinking, using a more critical lens to understand the experiences of international students, thinking about what are some of the systems in place, um, thinking about racism, nativism, thinking about discrimination, um, neo-racism that international students face, a much more broader um, like lens to looking at international students than just, oh, they need to be able to speak good English, right? Like that notion of speaking good English is already itself very, pro itself pro very problematic. Um, so having a broader lens and more critical lens thinking about our practice um, as student affairs professionals and from the campus community. Yeah, thank you for both for sharing that insights on that. And I do really echo what both of you say that we need to first use a broader lens in terms of providing and I would say that rethinking your approach to prov uh, providing support for international students and also recognizing that uh, the, our international community are not a homogenous group. Like everyone, this you might come from Asia, but within Asia itself, there are so many different countries that falls into that branch brunch and how can we be more intentional and be able to provide individualized support for those students is really important. But I do want to jump in for the next question to get some of your thoughts on that is that in light of COVID-19, what, what are the support that you think international students would most benefit from? I, I like to use this example a lot, and I talked about it earlier too, is thinking about how the US, uh, the community responded and really came together to advocate for international students uh, when we realized how ridiculous the July 6th um, guidance was, right? We all realized that this is really the one of the most ridiculous like guidance we've kind of seen being put out by um, the government at that time. And we saw just this uproar from just like students, from faculty, staff, from institution, campus leaders, and even businesses, um, some nonprofit organizations that really came together to advocate for international students at that time. And while we saw that amazing like uproar and just like that advocacy, that work kind of went away when the rule was rescinded, um, which is totally understandable because um, maybe to them, they don't see that huge um, need anymore. But I think it's hard for us to think about how we can be more proactive in terms of thinking about supporting international students and not just responding to um, international students need when a crisis occurs. Um, so that is one that I always like to think about is how can we be more proactive in terms of our actions? Um, but you know, with COVID-19, it's been so hard um, that so many things have changed, right? Um, some of the international students are stranded here in the US. Um, some of them have to go back um, and prefers to be back in their home countries because of different reasons. And that can include what am I gonna do when I get affected? Um, so thinking about mental health resources and how we can really provide them with those mental health resources. Um, it's also really hard to advocate to international students about the importance of mental health, um, like going to counseling or things like that when it's not common in a lot of our cultures to be talking about things like this. Um, I know that Mina and I talk about this a lot, but we like from our like background, we have this like 
just deal with it type um, like thinking, right? So how can we like sleep it off? Yes, Mina, <laughs> like sleep it off. You won't be depressed tomorrow, right? So like, how can we start um, bridging those, some of that cult, that differences, having some of those really vulnerable conversations with our international students, um, more specifically about mental well-being? Yeah, to add on to that, we also should be thinking about ways to actively address racism experienced by international students. So, um, you know, given that international students are coming from like different countries and I can speak on behalf of myself, I've always seen racism as just a part of my life. You know, as a person of color, uh, my skin is a darker shade compared to a lot of other people, um, I just face discrimination everywhere I go. So as a student of color, you, you know, you face this every time and like going to an institution or like coming to an institution at the United States is not any different. So um, as I mentioned, I've always feared for my safety and my sense of security, especially um, it being in the States. Um, during my first year, I was actually harassed while I was walking back to my dorm on campus from getting dinner. I was told to go back home as I didn't belong here, which was, you know, followed by a couple of racial slurs. Um, it was scary and shocking, really. So like providing appropriate support and really understanding that international students do face racism and like reaching out to them to do proper reporting, because, you know, international students, again, they are fearful of that. They tend to get scared to go to the police. Um, so if you're not reporting said crimes or said harassment, um, they're really not gonna know of numbers. They're really not know, gonna know about where to increase patrolling and stuff like that. And um, again, like a lot of us um, come here, you know, we are, learning new things. Um, we're also uh, adjusting to the culture and all. Um, we don't really, I guess, we don't really understand what microaggressions are. Um, we uh, might face it on a daily basis, but we won't come to a realization that what we actually faced was microaggression until like someone points it out or until we learn about it. Um, and like, um, again, with what I said, uh, we really need to be thinking about how to increase and how to um, push reporting and um, all these like bias incidents. And um, we, we as international students, we tend to work hard and really keep our heads down whenever it comes to, you know, working with someone or um, voicing out our, our opinions or thoughts like that. And this is how a lot of bullying happens because we're just so shut down. We're just like so quiet with a lot of things and we need to be, we need to start getting loud with some of the things. I know sometimes it is intimidating and sometimes it can, um, you know, cause a lot of trauma reliving our experiences, um, but it is vital, I think, to bring up issues, uh, stuff like that. So, and again, like, uh, Coming back to COVID, uh, right, and um, being an international student at the United States, healthcare is expensive. Um, like just spending a set amount of money for services that 
I feel like we don't even use as often as we should be is uh, a little bit too much. And I guess like going back to COVID-19 and um, using, I guess like utilizing and getting vaccinations, there's a lot of like um, emotions around that because, you know, uh, for some of the students who have family back at home, um, some of them don't have vaccination yet. And really to think about the, yes, it's a luxury that you're getting a vaccine right now um, as we are at the US, but to think about my my grandma who is like hitting her 70s, to think about my dad and mom who are um, actually still um, going outside teaching, going outside to work, um, but still being very exposed to the, um, to the pandemic and to the virus, it's uh, scary to think about. Yeah, um, I'm sorry, Mina, that you had to experience that in your experience. And I do want to thank you for being vulnerable on our podcast and by sharing your personal experience. Uh, but you did talk a little about as a person of color being in United States, like the experiences that you have, um, you basically the experience that you had need to overcome. Um, I do want to talk a little and touch a little about um, Asian students' racial experiences during COVID-19 itself. Um, wanting to share a test, not a testimony, but share a story about a friend of mine, also an international student being on campus during the COVID-19. He was actually being called racial slurs or just being called of like, go back home to China. Why do you eat a bat? Or being spit on while just walking apart. Like, what are the things that Asian students or international students because of your skin color or any of the things that you share about that you get attacked upon? And how can an institution or our community members come together to provide that support? And I do think that, I think Tay and Mina, you mentioned earlier of like, because of the DHS ruling, you were able to see the community members, the business partners, like people who are not in higher ed come together in terms of providing that and advocating for that. But I do feel that international students are a unique population and how can student affairs professionals or institution itself better support um, this population is really important. And how can we, make our voices being heard on campus. So I don't know if Tay, if you want to share any points on that. Yeah, I, I mean, Sharina, I really echo, like, I think I'm fortunate, like I am a Malaysian Chinese, so I do look like this Chinese person, right? Um, and I am, I think really fortunate to haven't been in the space where I was the target of overt discrimination, right? But I've felt a lot of microaggression and it took me a long time to recognize and realize that those are microaggression because I don't know, like a part of me is like, oh yeah, maybe, you know, it's just like, I'm reading them wrong, right? But no, it was like, I've been in so many situations in my own apartment that when people see me like standing in the corner, like with my mask on, they would scoot to the other side of the elevator to try to stand away from me. And while they think that, oh, maybe she just wants her space, this was so harming for me because I just kept thinking about that incident. And now every time I take the elevator, 
I try to avoid crowds. Like I, if I see a huge crowd going in, I never go in. Um, so these are like the small things that really impacts like the international student experience. And I think in terms of institution, the first thing to really realize is and really understand is the anti-Asian racism and hate and violence that has already been in place, like right in the United States. And we've seen this a lot with just recent events and um, really just the campaign to stop Asian hate. Um, that's a big one. So those experiences, while may seem much more focused and centered to the Asian American experiences, the fact is that we look like Asian Americans and we still get the same um, treatment as they as age, other Asian Americans would receive. They don't see, they don't know that we are an international student. That's not a um, like an identity you can see from our faces, right? They just see that, oh, you're Asian. Um, so that's one that we can do is thinking, like I really try to talk to staff and faculty about educating themselves, like really thinking about the history, right? And how those lenses can be applied to really understand what's going on with the international student community and why we feel hesitant to speak up so many times because first we have that cultural background that really um, sometimes not encourage us to be this like outspoken about issues like this but also second um we don't know where is the space we don't know where to who to go to um we don't know if if we even talk about these issues are they even going to be addressed um so that's um one of the reasons why this type of like advisory board this type of group like needs to exist on campus because we want to be able to like start building those connections and start talking to campus leaders about these are the actual experiences that you're not hearing, or maybe you've listened before, but you're not actively addressing. And how can we hold you accountable to make some of those changes for us? Um, yeah. Yeah, I want to thank you, Tay, for sharing that. And I do want to talk, a, not talk a little, but I do want to share the sentiment of like, pre-COVID, this has already been existing in our community itself, but it's not being spoken of. And with the help of a student advisory board, I do think that it is also a platform where we can introduce all of these uh, issues and topics to in our international student community. And I think both of you did talk about coming from a different country, a different cultural upbringing. We might not know what's microaggression. We might not know what's discrimination, but how can we make sure that we educate and share those information for our international students community. And when they are faced with those situations, they can report those incidents to the institution so that they could take action on that. And I do think that the, for me, my personal example, the when I first came to United States like five years ago, the I experienced of like, okay, they don't, they can't pronounce my name Xiaoyun. So I had to give myself an English name because my professor told me, hey, your name is really hard to pronounce. Can you give yourself an English name? So I, at that point, I didn't know what was microaggression. I haven't even heard of the term. So I do think that with this advisory board, you are able to do so much and put a lot of the good information out there to share to our domestic folks and also our international community. So I do want to step up off my soapbox and knowing that our time is 
almost towards the end of our ending note, my last question to both of you is that how or where do you think someone should start in terms of helping the international community? Oh, that's such a good question. Like, it's so hard. Um, and I think, Sharon, like, I have, I do have a direct response to what you said just now, um, because I think a lot of times, most of the people that we work with, that we're close with, like the community members within like international students, they know how to interact with international students. But it's the broader, like the larger community that kind of just don't see us or they don't have not interacted with us in the past, right? Or really just they see us as this like niche group that they don't have to think about how to support them in the first place, right? Maybe they are thinking like, oh, I'll never be working with them, right? So though like, Sharin, when I think about the faculty member that you shared, right? I just cannot imagine like what their experiences was like dealing with international students beforehand, before you even like went into their lives, right? So I think, this is one part that institutions can really take a hard look at is how can they begin to train any student facing roles like everyone with a student facing role to know what some of the immigration policies what some of the um, laws are what some of the specific experiences of international students that they face with like their different identities racial ethnic sexual gender all of those type of identities social class is a big one too um and why international students while we share the same identity of being that international person we are still so different um and i think for me i'm all about thinking about history thinking about why international students even how we even came to exist in the first place and um, if you did like a quick search about like the history of international students you can really see that how our existence as a group um, is really seen as a, um, it's really used as a policy tool. Um, we've really been a group that's highly politicized and that ties into how some of the immigration rules are set up, how some of the policing um, really happens with international students when it comes to um, immigration related items. Um, so that's another one, um, thinking about the historical roots of the international student group. Yeah, so to also add on to that, right, um, definitely providing international students a communication or a discuss discussion space um, is really important. I think um, international students being so far away from their support system, from their family and their friends, uh, it's, it's really hard. So having someone to listen to students' concerns and to just lend, a, lend an ear um, preferably someone of power on campus, a staff, a faculty, that works, right? Just to understand and just to see the struggles of international students. That way, uh, we're also providing some sort of a safe and brave space for um, international students to discuss their um, challenges, their issues, any topic at all, if they would want to discuss, um, is really vital for international students. Um, and also, I think, um, you know, with all these like different news that is happening around the United States, whether that be hate crimes, whether that be 
political actions and or like different immigration um, regulations that spring changed. Um, providing some sort of outreach to parents is something that needs to be ventured. Students face a lot of stress with their life, right? Whether that be from school, whether that be from microaggressions, from like teachers or other peers. Um, additional questions from parents can be a lot. Uh, asking for clarifications and next, them, uh, next steps. That is like typically what my dad asked me. Like first thing that he does when he calls me is like, so what is happening right now? So um, what is the next step? Um, and I'm like so confused as like I'm also trying to digest all the information that I just got to know and my dad's asking me this question and I really don't know how to provide an answer so providing that outreach would be something um, institutions need to look at um, having like an emailing system would definitely give them a peace of mind and you know um, I've talked a lot about this um, students, international students, students of color, they really are uh, put as advocates. They, um, you know, it's like amazing to see empowered students serve as advocates for their identities, but we really need to consider the emotional, the mental, and the physical tools that advocacy work has on, in, on students. Um, Aside from hearing their concerns, uh, we, need, we need to think about how can we provide them with spaces for community healing and psychological support. Um, so faculty and staff and um, domestic students and also students, just students of any population really, um, you need to think about how can we provide uh, or practice solidarity with these students to bring collective power, equity, inclusion, and justice to systemic issues on campus. Yeah, I want to thank you both for sharing those great insights in terms of how to better support our international community or what are the first steps that you can do and what your role can help with our international community. And our time is almost up. I do want to thank Two of my dear friends who are joining me here today, Mina and Tay, to share for them sharing about the great insights and what their student advisory board is doing. And I do want to share and put a plug out there. If folks who are joining and tuning us in today, if you are interested to follow along about the international student advisory board that both Mina and Tay is running, you can definitely follow them on social media. I'll definitely put a plug in the description box itself and also the show notes will also include the direct link to their social media accounts. So I want to thank you once again, Mina and Tay, for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having us.